Cynic Empowerment. Welcome, everyone. This is Cynic Empowerment. My name is Jimmy Horn. And I'm Tim Carpenter. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. We've got a little bit of a dark episode today. Uh, we've talked about morbidity in the past, uh, but we're going to try to take it to new heights. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing the worst industrial disasters, uh, at least of the modern day. And uh, I'm sure that there are going to be some on this list that we neglect to mention. Uh, we are going off of a couple of lists that we found online. Uh, so if anybody does have any recommendations uh, or things that we need to be sure to remember, uh, please contact us and we'll be sure to include uh, some of those uh in a further episode absolutely because there have literally been hundreds of industrial disasters since the Mm -hmm. beginning of the industrial age as the name gets its uh its title from so uh we will not be covering all of them there's obviously some of the ones that we're going to cover today we could do an entire episode on just going through every step where individuals and companies made poor decisions to make these disasters happen but we're going to try to cast a wide net instead of a deep deep net is that the thing (laughs) instead of casting a deep a deep net there's got to be a particular name for a deep net i I mean not not just as a as a euphemism for like some kind of crappy place on the internet you don't want to go oh yeah that's true. I forget about it. Go into the deep web. Yeah, I'm going to pay for someone to assassinate someone because I can. <laughs> and I'm going to pay them with bitcoins. <laughs> what you you don't just have like hitman offices located all around where you live? I, I usually like to shop local. Shop you local. Know? Local yeah. farm raised hitmen. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> then you just walk down the street and you knock on the door. It's usually a little bell. They're like, oh, hello, how can I help you today? It's like, well, uh, there's these guys that are really pissing me off. I'd, I'd really like you to, to knock them off if that would be all right. And they're like, oh, sure. Yeah, just but please do it organically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do all of our assassinations humanely, as you can see, as the bullet passes through this particular section. <laughs> yeah, okay. It is painless. Yeah, absolutely. Puts them right out. Oh, sorry. I've been talking to the guy from the Corporal Punishment episode that we referred to, and he wants people to feel pain if they're bad and they're going to die. Do you have any painful options? Uh, as you can see, we have a full list of painful options here, catered to you, the consumer. Perfect. Anything you like. We even have torture devices. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, speaking of torture devices... Uh, it seems like a lot of the people that died in these industrial accidents died in very terrible, terrible ways. I think uh, there's a there's a, a small population of them, and of course, with most of these disasters, there are uh, initial explosions or things that happen very quickly mm-hmm. that uh, snuff out the lives of the people in a in an immediate diameter. Mm-hmm. And I would consider those to be, you know, gosh. Um, I hope you all don't judge me too too much for saying this, but those are the lucky ones. These are the people who didn't have to go through the pain of watching their their family members die, mm-hmm. watching their, their their cities and the area in which they had grown up and be ravaged by whatever type of terrible thing that had gone by the the new you know this industrial facility that was close by. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and some of these things are, are still have very wide, far-reaching effects that are carrying into the modern day. Even some of these that we're going to discuss later uh, that occurred during the 80s, we're still seeing uh, many of the problems. There are still ghost towns that have been produced that are to this day uh, just overgrown with with vines overtaken by their their primordial pasts, mm-hmm. it, and it's terrifying. You know, it's terrifying to think that you could be living near one of these facilities. We we don't know what all is going on inside of these facilities, and we don't necessarily have any say over the regulations or uh, hazard controls that they're implementing in their facilities. We can only right. hope that they're doing all that they can, right? Absolutely. Mm. Is there so so where do we want to start here? Do we want to start talking about a specific industrial disaster and then talk about what what causes it, uh, or do we want to talk about maybe well, someone? Sure. Well, I, and I think it, it would probably help first to to you know organize our terms a little bit. What exactly do we mean by an industrial disaster? Okay. Uh, you know, by and large, I think that anything that could be attributed uh, as a any any type of far-reaching disaster, uh, whether it be uh, fatalities, destruction of the environment, uh, destruction of uh, significant amounts of personal property, uh, any of those things uh, that are caused as a byproduct of industrialization um, in a sudden and and uh, captured way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so meaning it, it, you can't necessarily say something like, oh, well, because there aren't enough carbon scrubbers within the majority of uh, exhaust um, uh, stacks in many plants around the world, that that's causing some type of increase in uh, carbon dioxide gases and things of that manner. So thus you have global warming as a result. Like I, I think that it, oh, you know, in a large enough definition, you could probably include that in natural disasters, but we're talking about those things that uh, you can draw uh, a line from point A to point B and say within this time span, within this particular thing, uh, this mistake happened and thus the result was disastrous. Right. There's like an immediacy, whether there's an explosion yeah. or a fire or something caused by uh, right. either human error or lack of safety re- regulations or something this something that should have been able to been avoided happened. Yeah. I I think that's probably a great thing to include. Like all of these things could have been avoided. Uh, and whether it be through the, the increase in technology, you know, like we didn't necessarily have access, uh, to the safety mechanisms that we did today. And Hey, you know, that's something that's kind of like a little side point. Some of these are learning experiences for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily blame uh, the all of these companies that have experienced these disasters exclusively, uh, that the administrators uh, were just circumventing some type of more expensive uh, fail-safe yeah. that they needed to include. And then they chose not to because they were money-grubbing corporate pieces of shit. Uh, no, sometimes these people just didn't know. They had no idea what they were working with. They weren't Come on, they they competent. Come on. Come on. Well, some, of them, some of them. I mean, I, I think by and large, you find that, that these people are, are doing so because of either carelessness uh, or because of selfishness. But there are certainly those instances in which, uh, you know, companies or individuals that were 
handling dangerous substances or were responsible for something that could be potentially dangerous ended up making mistakes simply because they didn't know any better. Maybe, maybe I'm biased. I'll, I'll, I'll give, but I'll give the, the, the lowly grunt worker making five cents an hour at the factory in India. I'll give him the human <laughs> error, like pass of like, he didn't yeah. know because no one told him I'll give him the pass, but the, well, yeah. the, the giant corporation with the consultants and the safety committees that, has these regulations that go into these facilities. Like, I'm not going to give them the, the, Oh, I just didn't, I didn't realize we were supposed to do safety inspections every year. You know, I'm not, I'm not giving them the pass. That is certainly a responsibility and a responsibility of owners and administrators. You need to at least be going, you need to know what's going on within your company uh, at least to a certain level. And I don't know exactly what that level is. I'm not in, in that, type of public policy <laughs> i think the level should be at like the level you need to reach in order to prevent your facility from exploding like i think that's like the bare minimum like that's the level <laughs> of knowledge and commitment that you need to have like i don't know why i feel like that's a nice line to have but yeah. if whatever you're doing is going to cause your facility to explode you're probably fucking up you know and and, it, and from an investment owner standpoint it just doesn't make sense to cut these corners when there's a, a possibility that one of these horrible industrial disasters could happen. Like all the money you're saving from, you know, not checking the fire extinguishers to make sure they have enough uh, uh, stuff in them that they, they're properly pressurized to work or and all the other different safety things, you know, that you're saving money from not doing on a monthly or yearly basis. It just, it doesn't make sense to Right. Uh, yeah. When you think of what the repercussions of those disasters could be, it's ultimately going to cost you way more than the fail safes would have. Exactly. Uh, but I don't know. I, uh, some people make dumb choices and then other people have to pay for them, unfortunately. Unfortunately. All right. Well, I think we've established so, that pretty well. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start some older disasters, some newer ones? What do we got? Well, I, I think that, that chronologically we, we could possibly just bust it out from oldest to newest, but I don't know. I, there, there are a couple in here that I wanted to discuss, although not as uh, – the the death toll was not quite as high. Yeah. Uh, even so, they're they're interesting in their own right uh, simply because it's, it's something that we in the modern day don't necessarily consider would be possible because normally when we think of industrial disasters in the modern day, we think there was a huge explosion that was right. caused by – uh, several different gases that I've never heard of or can't pronounce mm -hmm. mixing together in some type of weird technique that was producing an offshoot of a pesticide that's used only on a particular type of bug or right. like very Turn particular things. Chernobyl, though the nuclear fallout kind of industrial disasters, I think people yeah. think of immediately. Very, very modern, uh, caused by almost like a, uh, this self-righteous, uh, belief in the uh, in human progress and the belief that we're able to uh, overcome any type of technological issue or that we get a little too big for our britches, so to speak, uh, and we're like, oh yeah, sure, let's let's put uh, let, let's put some nuclear reactors in this area or like like uh, Fukushima, like yeah. that, that's that's very recent, yeah. uh, and yet it's an island. Why would you put it on an island? 
Why why not? It seems good. You don't want them to be near people, right? But you... earthquakes. But earth, like the the earth moves under those things. Like it's they're very possible. The that earth they're... moves over all of Japan pretty much. Exactly. So don't put any there. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean that's fair. Off limits. I didn't read about the Fukushima one, so I don't know if there's some way they could have circumvented the preventing earthquakes oh. from affecting the facility. I'm sure there's probably some kind of thing they could have done. I don't know. Some kind of crazy suspension system right. like, under the factory. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that there are ways in which uh, we can we can build uh, that can kind of allow this kind of movement mm-hmm. uh, and absorb some of that shock. But all in all, it just doesn't seem for a doesn't seem like a very good place for that type of investment. <laughs> yeah. Like something that's very it's like building like a like a glass tower or something like that. Right. Like, you know at some point it's probably gonna get a crack in it. It's not gonna be easily repaired. And because of the additional movement, it's probably gonna just shatter into a million pieces one day. And I hear you're not supposed to throw stones at glass towers. Uh only if you're in them, is that uh, yeah, I can't remember. It's some kind of thing. <laughs> glass houses, I, I think. Ah, uh, fuck it. Yeah, those those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones or something like that. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so... Uh, so let's talk about the... <laughs> I've got one here that yeah. I, I pulled up. It's called the Pemberton Mill. So, this was a mill. It was located in Massachusetts. And so it, it was a, a textile mill that, I guess... wasn't doing very well uh it was it was failing and then so some entrepreneurs bought it for Mm -hmm. i I guess like a good price because it was failing and they're like aha we know what we can do if we want to make money with this mill we can fill it with more machinery so it will be (laughs) even more productive and so that's what they did and that's so what they, they all sounded like. They, that's what everyone sounded like in 1853 <laughs> in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I, haven't haven't you like heard like the the little newsreels? I guess those were like 1913 or whatever. Yeah, they're thumbing like, their handlebar mustaches. Exactly. And they're, they're like squinting on top of their monocles. Exactly. And, and their beady little it, corporate eyes. Well, one of the guys that owned it is this guy named De- uh, David Nevins Sr. And I, you can see his face if you look at the Wikipedia. And, you know, he looks like he talks like that. He looks like, ah! And so... Oh, he does, yeah. And so anyways, he he did that. Uh, they, they put the stuff in there, and, and it, was, it was great, right? They had 2,700 <laughs> spindles, 700 looms. They were making shit tons of money. Uh, it, it, it was awesome. But one day, uh, the entire building buckled, and over 145 people died. So the, the entire roof of the building came down, crushed a bunch of people. 166 were injured. 145 were killed. And it was awful. And the reason why this happened is because they didn't pay any attention to, like, structural stuff. They're just like, more machines means more money. We don't have to pay attention to, like... What this building can actually withstand, and they put their heaviest machinery up on the second floor for some fucking reason. Yeah. Uh, and so ultimately, <laughs> the place fell down. It crushed a bunch of people. It was very bad. Uh, but that's it. That's just my little old timey story of classic. I think uh, something worth mentioning: uh, the uh, majority of the workers in the Pemberton Mill disaster 
uh, or during the Pemberton, Pember, Pemberton Mill disaster were women and children. Yes. Uh, not, not that that's – I mean, that, that is – it's very sad. They have I mean, more they, agile hands for the machinery for the sure. spindles. Well, and, and this was in a day and age. What, what year was this again? 1853. 1850. Uh, so, yeah, this was uh, during a, a time in which uh, child labor laws – hadn't been uh hadn't really been enforced just yet yeah what lucky children well they were allowed to work and make money when i was a kid i had to go to school i feel bad for myself yeah as you should you could have been learning a trade like how to produce textiles right and make a a whopping 25 cents a week or whatever they got paid yeah and and also if we're going to add other layers to it of of uh uh, interestingness they, uh, they were primarily irish and scottish immigrants so this was a time when uh, people would look at irish and scottish people down their nose and be like oh these lowly basically not whites you're you're white but you're not not, not quite a full human being yet. Not, yeah not not fully because at the time you know in the united states you oh i guess still sometimes in the united states it seems like that you're only a human being if you're white but even then yeah, it was it was even worse and so yeah yeah Jeez. so hey did you know that they rebuilt it yes after it fell down yeah the, rebuilt it stands today right they're like damn it <laughs> we're yeah. making so much fucking money Jeez. gotta build it again the person held responsible, the architect, yeah. who's ultimately the guy that was that was a. Uh, let's it, see. It's his fault. He, did, he, he didn't was... serve any time. No one received any punishment. Yeah. What the heck? How could we have known that? I, but they they there there's even mention, at least according to this source, that that those individuals knew that the the building was weak. Uh, that. The, the walls were, were insufficient for holding the mm. amount of weight that was on the fourth fucking floor. It's so much weight. Yep. Oh, that's disgusting. It is gross. But, uh, yeah. Know. So, Jeez. Ha- happy fun times. Yeah, that's that's absolutely terrible. Uh, so, that, you know, going on with the whole New England thing, uh, Boston, Massachusetts is the location of the next... Uh, be discussing. Uh, this is the uh, the Boston molasses disaster. <laughs> the they, Boston molasses flood. Do they die of diabetes from eating too much syrup? <laughs> As a matter of fact, they did. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did they get like sticky? Were like was it just like a like a giant like wave of like molasses going through the streets and people were sinking it? Like oh no. Well, I don't know if it was a wave as much as like a flow. You know, it's kind of like a a very slow encroachment. Like I'm sure that the initial explosion, uh, which to be doused in like hot molasses, yeah, that's true. That'd be real bad. shitty. Be like hot tar. Like, uh, I mean, I guess you could try to like munch up a little bit. But, <laughs> oh no, uh, I'm drowning! Oh no, oh, no, oh, it's delicious. It's so hot. I, it's well, so actually, hot. It's so yummy. What it was exactly. <laughs> either way like it's a slow way to die wait so how so, did wait so wait how do people die in this explain explain the exactly the okay uh so let's see uh what what exactly do we know need to know here uh so this happened at uh the purity distilling company on okay. the 15th of january okay. 1919 Ooh, so everyone back still, in time. 
yeah, pretty pretty long ways ago. Uh, the uh, the temperature uh, was pretty cold. Okay, we're okay. We're, we're talking like in the 40s. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and had been uh, rapidly climbing from the the previous days. So there's a big change in temperature, uh, which is going to cause a lot of this molasses uh, that, of course, can potentially be uh, fermented to produce rum and ethanol, okay. uh, was being stored uh, at this at the purity plant situated between Willow Street uh, and what is now called Everetsy Way in Cambridge. Uh, so it was about 1230 in the afternoon. Uh, one of the molasses tanks, which happened to be about 50 feet tall and 90 feet in diameter. So this is a, this is a big old, big old tank uh, containing as much as 2.3 million U.S. gallons collapsed. Wow. Yep. That's a – damn. So uh, witnesses claimed that they heard uh, the, the ground – or they, they felt the ground shake. They heard a, a roar uh, uh, almost like uh, a train. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, of course, you had this loud thunderclap like bang uh, as a lot of these rivets shot out of the tank. <laughs> and then it unleashed the wave of molasses, right? Uh, which apparently, you know, was, uh, was pretty big. It's about 25 feet high at its peak. So that is a monstrous wall of sticky goodness yeah. just coming at you. Uh, looks like it went about, okay. <laughs> About 35 miles an hour. So to oh my put that God. in perspective, the average human being could probably run about uh, 12 to 17 miles an hour. Yeah. You, know, you, can't, you couldn't outrun it. Can't outrun it. You're slow as molasses, oh. man. <laughs> You're slow as molasses. Molasses is fast. We needed to change that phrase. Molasses, yeah, molasses is fast and scary. God. God. <laughs> so molasses wave, it's busting through the streets. Uh, it's, it's damaging the, the girders of the Boston elevated railway. Uh, there it, it's knocking trains off the tracks. Holy like fuck. It, it's, it's a lot of force. Uh, and several blocks were flooded up to a depth of two to three feet. So here's where you get a lot of this wreckage and a lot of people dying. People are getting stuck. So yeah, if you it's like quicksand, stuck, exactly. Like it's up to your knees like you can't really move in it. Right. So there's just a bunch of folks that are walking around with, I guess, sheets of plywood and ropes. Like, what are you going to do? God. You're all just like, stuck there together. Like if you were running away and you had something that was like 10 feet away from you, you know, you both got stuck at it right about the same time, but you're still enough distance away. You can't really get to each other. It's just such a cartoony Bugs Bunny way to die. Really? Like this is. It is. It's absolutely ridiculous. How many people died from this? Gosh. Um, what were the casualties? Let's see. We had 150 people were injured. Okay. Uh, 21 people and several horses were killed. Oh, my God. Horses. Yeah. You well, think the horses would be tall it. enough? What's that? You think the horses would be tall enough they wouldn't die from it? Oh, my God. Well, maybe they tripped. They just tripped. They fell over and they couldn't get back up. Yeah, because it sticks. Yes, that it's makes like, sense. Yeah. It's stuck in it. Oh, oh my god. Shit. That is so like <laughs> Oh, this is this is great. I got a oh. I have a quote. Uh this is a a guy from the Boston Post of the time period. Uh molasses, waist deep, 
covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled a form, whether it was an animal or a human being was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about in the sticky mass, showed where any life was. Jeez. Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. The more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. Whew. Gosh. How do you even clean that up? Like, how do you make it go away? Uh, that's uh, that's an excellent question. Like, because you think it would just, like, harden and be sticky, and it's not like... I feel like plumbing at this time was a lot more primitive. I just, I don't even know how you'd clean it up. Uh, let's see. Salt water from fireboats. Gosh. That's what like, we did. Like, can you imagine if it got into your Instant. house and you had, like, two feet worth of, like, molasses over everything you own? Like, how the fuck would you get it out? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's insanity. Uh, God. The, uh, the cleanup in the immediate area took weeks, with more than 300 people contributing to the effort. So, like, what could they have done to prevent this from happening? Like, what was the, the human error? Like, don't put that much molasses in a container? Like, Well, it doesn't really seem to mention fault here. No, it's uh, just unavoidable? Well, it, it's not like it wasn't avoidable. Uh, let's see, causes. Uh, so, most of the it looks like the tank was constructed poorly and tested insufficiently. Okay. Uh, as well as the fact that uh, because you had that increase in temperature, uh, and I would imagine that this probably would have been kept outside. In fact, from the pictures, I assume it was kept outside. Uh, that raise in, in in temperature, even even just a couple of degrees, would have caused uh, you know that you know, active fermentation and whatnot to uh, create a lot of carbon dioxide. Which, if you don't have any type of appropriate blow-off, the tank just blows up, right? Yeah. Um, so, so it could be a couple of people's. Also, uh, well, yeah, that's that's still going to be tank construction. So yeah. tank construction and improper storage of a material that they know is going to expand. Gotcha. So. Yeah, it seems like they should have had a lot of smaller containers instead of like, oh, let's put all the stuff in yeah. just one giant Instead of it, having lots of barrels, let's have one giant barrel. Well, you know, these these industrial guys are kind of a – they have a knack for the dramatic and they like to measure their dicks with each other. Yeah. So they all have to have the biggest, most extravagant barrel fermenter barrel thing. <laughs> In fact, I, uh, I, uh, I do a little bit of brewing every now and then. And oh, I, yeah? Do you? And I, I heard a, a story once upon a time that – uh, back in ye old England days, uh, they would compete with one another to see who could have the largest fermenters. And whenever they would construct a new one, uh, especially those of sufficient size, they would throw ballroom parties inside of them because <laughs> they were so large that people could dance in them. You know, so, I hear that back then how they would talk to each other while inside the barrel. I was like, oh, I do declare my barrel. <laughs> <laughs> is quite larger than yours. That means I'm better than you, Harumph. Harumph. I'm gonna put molasses in mine. <laughs> I dare you. Uh, do it. Uh, yep. Uh, so that was pretty rough. Uh, let's see. Anything else on this? Ah, of course. Uh, you had to to keep in mind that uh, rescue workers, cleanup crews, sightseers had tracked the molasses through the streets. 
and as it spread to subway platforms, to the seats inside trains and streetcars, to pay telephone handsets into homes, and countless other places, everything a Bostonian touched was sticky. Much <laughs> like the modern day. <laughs> Not much has changed in Boston, I guess. Yes. Okay, so anything I have next is like with year 2000 plus. Is there anything you want to hit before then? Well, I'm, I'm, I would like to save the, uh, the Bhopal disaster until the end. Okay, that's fine. I was going to bring up the, uh, the Deep Horizon disaster, which happened in 2010. All right. Yep, let's talk. So I'm sure everyone is familiar with it. It was the awful oil rig disaster that happened in 2010 that created all the awful effects to the environment. Whether you're an environmentalist or not, I think we can all agree that the tons and tons of oil that leaked into the ocean for 87 straight days was bad and had a horrible effect on animal life. Uh, the the coast reached in, in general, uh, killing all kinds of different things. And so what we've got to do is we've got to ask ourselves, why did this happen? Why did this occur? <laughs> That's what the focus can of we this learn? <laughs> uh, and so... The causes, huh? And so the facility that it, that it happened on, the, the oil rig, the Deep Horizon, it, uh, it did have uh, uh, safety measures to try to prevent... A disaster like what happened with it from occurring so uh just to get into the basics of how an oil rig works you know it has a giant pipe that goes from the oil rig that's like out in the ocean down into the ocean floor and it goes down 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 and it digs into the ocean to the bowels so, of hell to the bowels of hell mm-hmm. and it brings up a lot of uh uh sand sands and the natural gas and then gasoline which is harvested out of the ocean floor, and then, you know, sold uh, all over. And so there are several different little safety valves in in this giant metal tube that goes down into the ocean that are uh, meant to prevent a disaster like what occurred. And so what happened is there's also um, mud that's used to, I guess, keep the, the gasoline down as well. And so what happened is there was an overflow of the gasoline up onto the rig. And so that wasn't supposed to happen in the first place. And so what they did is they they activated this safety release, which was uh, have this little rubber stopper essentially expand to try to stop it. Like that's like the first measure. And so for whatever reason, that rubber stopper, it didn't stop the flow. And so gasoline kept on going up through it. And so there was another safety measure where basically there's this metal cutoff clamp that's supposed to cut the pipe and close it off and seal any more from coming to the surface. Okay. And so that metal uh, clamp pipe thing uh, cut it off, and it also it didn't create a full seal, and so oil was still able to go up through uh, the the seafloor onto it, and it found a ignition source and it caught on fire. And so basically there was this team, uh, I believe the CSB, that uh, went and investigated afterwards to try to figure out why these two 
fail safes uh, failed in preventing this disaster from happening, which obviously it couldn't get cleaned up because it had a constant source of fuel from the ocean that kept on going to the fire source on the oil rig. And that's why it burned for 87 days because it was burning so intensely and hotly. There was literally nothing anyone could do or just wait for the fire to go out. Yeah. So what they were able to discover is essentially there's this thing that happened where this pipe that's incredibly long, it's, uh, I, I'm not sure how many like hundreds or thousands of feet this pipe is that goes down to the ocean, but it's very, 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 very long. And yeah. so there's this thing that happens with the pressure of the outside of the pipe and the inside of the pipe where it can cause one uh, side of the pipe to be um, longer than the other. It's like invisible to the naked eye, but it's an instructional thing that uh, safety organizations had made aware to oil rigs uh, in the past, but it's never been an issue. And so with this uh, difference in length causes one side to be longer than the other. So expansion happens to it more than the other. So it causes this pipe that's supposed to be straight to bend. And so when the metal clamp went to uh, cut it off, since it was at an angle, it didn't create a full uh, closure of the pipe. It was only a partial closer, closure, which still allowed oil to get onto the surface. And apparently uh, this is an issue that could affect other oil rigs that hasn't really been uh, fixed. What, so, so still hasn't been implemented with other oil rigs. Yeah, this is an issue that's on oil, other oil rigs that it, it could it could theoretically happen again. The, what, the, how are they getting around that? Uh, I it's just not enforced. Wow, it's not enforced. They they have their safety regulations of their you know their oil stoppers and their cutoff things you know to prevent this from happening, but there's still the probability that this pressurization that could happen on these pipes could still happen to other pipes. Uh, what what are the the solutions for this? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's some other pipe they could use that would be less likely to be affected by the pressurization of the internal and ex outside pressure. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's more or less what caused it. It wasn't an individual error of someone, you know, not pulling the right lever or not activating the safety mechanisms. And a lot of these safety mechanisms will activate on their own if electricity is cut off at the uh, on the platform of the rig or if other things happen where there's no communication to the yeah. other devices and so i mean all of those fail safes activated but it still wasn't enough to present prevent this from happening due to the uh i, I guess the the expansion that happened in the pipe inside the ocean floor yeah so yeah. it's Jeez. fucked up so uh, what happened afterwards? Let's see. Uh, I, I know that there was a, a lot of pop culture references to the fact that these guys were, were getting off easy, so to speak. Yeah, and I'm sure that's still true. I don't, I don't know all the ramifications afterwards. I probably should have looked more into it. I, maybe I'm just cynical into where I didn't even bother looking because I figured they were let off. Uh, well, they did have to pay an exorbitant fee. But what's exorbitant to an oil yeah, yeah. company, that, right? That's, that's an excellent – absolutely. That what, what exactly does that matter? Uh, let's see. So September 2014, a U.S. district court judge ruled that BP was primarily responsible for the oil spill because of its gross negligence and reckless conduct. 
-hmm. In July 2015, BP agreed to pay $18.7 billion in fines, the largest corporate settlement in U.S. history. So that's a lot of money. That is a lot Uh, of money. How much does BP make a year? But that's and that's because of the oil spill, right? And oh, I know that they make more than eighteen point seven. It, that's well, I don't know. It it might be like a year's salary. We'll see. <laughs> right. Uh, either way, it's a it's a hell of a lot of money, but it's just money. Like what 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 happens to all of the all of the things that happened prior? Like a lot of this occurred because of the initial explosion. People yeah. died in that explosion. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, it looks like. About two years prior to this, uh, the U.S. Department of Justice settled uh, federal criminal charges with BP, pleading guilty to 11 counts of manslaughter, uh, two misdemeanors, and a felony count of lying to Congress. Classic. Well, I mean, at least they were held accountable and they had to pay money, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm still not – obviously – happier and i'll never be satisfied but at the same time mm. it, 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 18 billion dollars is more than a slap on their wrist i would say it's not just like you know a 500 million dollar fine or something that would be nothing to these oil conglomerates um which Pretty is how you have to say oil conglomerate you can't just say oil conglomerate you gotta yell oil. you gotta say oil conglomerate oil conglomerates. Uh, you gotta be yeah. yeah these guys are made of money uh right. that that is one of the the single wealthiest, uh, or I guess most lucrative in industries that you can be in, yeah. uh, or at least be an owner in. <laughs> you don't really want to work in the industry sector if you're not an owner or upper administrator, right? Yeah, uh, you're not but, really places you want to be. So, because in the moment that uh, some bigwig makes a mistake and decides to cut corners. Oh. It's oh your God. ass on the line. It is your ass. I know this, ass. It, this is not an industrial disaster thing, but that's like fucking Wells Fargo. You know how they're like being fined for their shit of like opening accounts for people that people didn't ask for them to open and then charging them money for it. Yeah, like well, Wells Fargo, they flipped around and they're like, they blamed employees for it. They're like, oh, these lowly little employees were just rogue running around opening accounts for people and charging them money. And which is just entire bullshit because I know I'm an employee and I don't do shit unless someone tells me to do it, right? Like, I don't think you would have a, like, concerted effort of just, like, mass amounts of people that are just like, derp-a-derp-a-derp, I work for Wells Fargo. You know what I like to do? I like doing more work. I'm going to do more work (laughs) while I'm on the company clock instead of you know staring at my phone or doing something else i'm going to just randomly start opening accounts for people of my own will and charging them money because i can like it's just such bullshit no one would do that Mm -hmm. that's exactly what they did that's exactly so you have a a manager that's staring over your shoulder like hey jimmy uh you know it'd be really cool you know, it'd be really cool if you you open some new accounts for us. You know, you tell your manager like, but why would I want to open any accounts? It's it's a lot more work. And your manager's like, because you're gonna get fired unless you do exactly what exactly. I say. Exactly. And you're like, okay, I guess I'm gonna do that. I, okay. <laughs> well, I hope that this doesn't lead to right. any type of extrajudicial ramifications that could possibly lead to my termination in the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and then they fired those people, so it's super cool. Yeah, of course they did. They're like, oh, right. uh, scapegoat, I need a sacrifice. Come here. Come here. Come come hither. Cha! You chop them. 
it's yeah. that. But yeah, that's not an industrial disaster, so I'll stop harping on it. Uh, whoop, whoop, whoop. Nice. Uh, so something I did notice when I was reviewing some of the worst industrial disasters over the course of, of history, uh, half of them, five out of the top ten, I'll say, uh, are related to a very specific type of industry. Do you know what that would be, Jimmy? Do you have any, is it, you have any guess? Uh, is it oil? It's it's not oil. It's actually mining. You're your mining disasters, uh, specifically those for coal, are going to be some of the most dangerous uh, and some of the most disastrous. But Tim, I live in Kentucky and I have a license plate that says Friends of Coal. Coal's my friend, Tim. How could <laughs> coal hurt us? Well, the, it's not necessarily the coal itself. Like, I don't see the coal actually killing the people. It's usually byproducts of the coal, like coal dust, for example, which happens to be very explosive. That'll uh, that'll kill you pretty quick. Yeah. Um, you have all of these disasters. Uh, let's see uh, if I can find my list here. Aha. Uh, so those top five, uh, we're talking about. Uh, there was there was one in 1942 in China. Okay. Uh, the I'm gonna do my best to try to pronounce this first word. Um, it's spelled B E N. X I H U. So oh, you can't pronounce that. Come on. Benzuhu. Benzel. Benzuhu. <laughs> Benzuhu. The Benzuhu uh, Coilery disaster, uh, in which 1,549 people are believed to have died. So very serious stuff. Uh, this mine uh, was located in the Liaoning province of China. Uh, and was forcefully operated by the Japanese until the end of World War II in 1945. Okay. Uh, so what's really shitty about this uh, is that there was an explosion caused by a mixture of gas and coal dust uh, that exploded out of the mineshaft entrance. That initially killed a bunch of folks. But the real sad, apart, real sad part about this is that in order to uh, quell the fire that was burning underground as a result of this explosion, mm -hmm. they sealed the mine shaft with people inside. And oh, as a result, no. it, well, because of course they're trying to trying to stop the fire, uh, carbon monoxide builds up, poisons a bunch of folks, and more people end up dying as a result of the closure of the mine than if they had left it open. What a bunch of fuckers. Let it burn. Uh, not to mention, uh, let's see, was this the well, one? Well, I got to snuff out that flame, Tim, so that way it doesn't burn up all of the coal because you want to mine that later. Yeah, well, all right, you got to have the you gotta have the coal later. Coal's more important than human lives, um, which, I mean, is the basic principle of mining, right? <laughs> like you're, you're sending people underground uh, yeah. to rip from the guts of the earth this right. ancient dinosaur congealed juice. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, anyways, it powers my life. I have electricity in my house right now, apparently. Right. I don't have to you because of electricity. So that's what happens. Uh, so was this company held accountable for sealing up a mine and killing its workforce? Well, it was closed down afterwards. Uh, I think it might have changed hands uh, after the end of this. Uh, but, of course, 
Japan lost the war, so <laughs> hopefully they were uh, in some way uh, uh, penalized for the fact that they did a bunch of shitty stuff during yeah. this time period. <laughs> yeah, Japan did a lot of really shitty stuff to the Chinese. Um, the Chinese in particular, yeah. Yeah, during World War II. It was it's very bad. Very bad. We don't talk about it very much, but it's very yeah. bad. They actually uh, constructed an electric fence around the opening of the mine uh, to prevent miners' relatives from getting close. What the fuck? Yeah, and out of the, the number of people died, uh, let's see, uh, I think it was right around 30 of those 1,549 lives uh, were Japanese. The rest were Chinese. That yeah. Yeah. Were forcefully work. They were. It was slave labor. They were forcing them to work there. That is so gross. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, the the second of which I'm I'm just going to talk about the, the top three here because these are you know these are important. People should know these. Uh, this occurred in France at the Courrières mine. Uh, in let's see, where is it in particular? Uh, Courrières. <laughs> That's the place. <laughs> All right. In Corrières, France. Uh, you have a death toll of 1,099. Oof. Uh, and uh, that was also caused by a massive explosion sparked underground, uh, which led to a fire in one of the pits. When was this? Uh, this was in 1906. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Uh, caused a blast on the surface later uh, because the, the fire had been been burning all night yeah. uh, and uh, workers who were deep inside the mine tunnels uh, as well as people who were still operating on the surface were killed uh, and then you have a bunch of flammable gases uh, that uh, escaped from fissures in the pit walls yeah uh, and that of course cost more uh, it, and this is this is believed uh, to have been caused by the mishandling of mining explosives Um or possibly the ignition of methane gas, which is, of course is residually in these pits, uh, and they had open had open flame lamps. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, open flame lamps. Uh, and that seems like a really bad idea. But at the same time, it's 1906. So what else are you going to use? Yeah. What are you going to do? You going to have electricity? We, we haven't we haven't invented flashlights yet. No, they have not. They have electric fences by then. Or- <laughs> He's <laughs> oh, got him. Got him. Yeah, let's put some lights on those fences. Yeah, put some lights on those <laughs> fences. Let's use that. To, anyway, that's a good point. Oh my god. Okay, so the worst industrial disaster of all time. That is what the next industrial disaster we are going to talk about has the honor of the title of, and it is the Bhopal disaster of India. It happened in Bhopal. India, which is why it has its name, yeah. and it happened uh, in December 1984. So this is pretty recent history uh, that this this event occurred. So yep. it, it doesn't get the it doesn't get my flyby excuse of people didn't know any better, right? It doesn't get the 19 the 1853 putting too many machines in a four story building and having it fall down. They don't get that excuse, not in my book. Nope. And but- so. In their defense, uh, there there were some things that could have been mitigated a little bit better uh, in terms of containment uh, that if they had been a little more aware of some of the facts present that could have been mitigated. 
That's true, but I they even so what they did know they ignored. So, but we'll get into that. So, this was a a pesticide factory owned by UCIL, uh, which is an American uh, company company that was also owned by ucc right ucil well you union carbide is the company and in this particular one india limited which is the il portion oh okay so indian limited so it's so it's like partially owned by this indian company but also owned by the union carbide company which is a u.s u.s based industry union carbide and carbon is okay it's UCC. And then oh, okay. Carbide India Limited uh, or USIL is the facility that this occurred at. Gotcha. Gotcha. A lot of UCs in there. So my, yep. pl- please forgive me. And so just to highlight uh, some things that happened before the major catastrophe, there were leaks. So this, this MIC pesticide that was being created in this facility was is very, very toxic and deadly. Very, very, very bad as many pesticides are. Uh, especially for human bodies and especially in uh, high dosages, high uh, yields. And so mm-hmm. uh, prior to the major catastrophe that happened in 1984, there were many minor minor leaks that kept happening over and over and over again, yet nothing seemed to change. There was a leak in um, 1982, which exposed 24 workers to the, this uh, substance, and they had to go to a hospital because uh, none of them were wearing the correct protective uh, mask gear, which you think everyone would have to wear in a facility that has a, this noxious gas, but what do they I know? To. They, yeah, it wasn't required of them to wear it. It's like you don't need to wear any mask gear while in this facility we're making this deadly gas. Well, uh, and this is to, to put this into perspective, it, it, when you're talking about January 1982, when yeah. a lot of those 24 workers got sent to the hospital, yeah. they were exposed to phosgene gas. Okay. Uh, so for, for those of you that are unfamiliar with phosgene in particular, uh, that is a chemical compound, uh, a colorless gas, and in low concentrations, the odor resembles freshly cut hay or grass. Uh, and it is responsible for uh, 85% of the 100,000 deaths caused by chemical weapons in World War One. Okay. So it's a, it's a, a chemical weapon in, in – yeah of history (laughs) so something you definitely don't want to breathe in and you might want to consider having your workers wear protective mask gear if they're gonna be working with this stuff but what the fuck do i know tim yeah Uh, you're just a layman you know thinking about safety and stuff exactly this is this is progress so so this happened in 1982 you think something would change no nothing changed one month later (laughs) uh another leak happened that affected 18 workers um so that was bad um, yes. and so, yeah. And so, and, and in that, a chemical engineer came in contact with liquid MIC and resulted in burns in over 30% of his body. Yeah. Nothing changed again. Uh, later that same year, October, 1982, there was another leak. Uh, and so there was a supervisor that attempted to stop the leak and they suffered from severe chemical burns and two other workers were severely exposed to the gases and so yeah lot this this lots of stuff happening over and over and over again and nothing's changing no you think that they uh all around this facility you you see people that are dressed up in uh like white coveralls and they have like stuff all around their face uh you know like super protected uh except for like this this core group of like 
dirty little Dutch kids that are yeah. like running up and like sticking their fingers in the holes on these tanks. Yep. And they're just like meant to like stand there at their only job. You know, their, I, their arms getting all like wrinkledy is, from. Is that a snow piercer reference? I don't <laughs> Well, you got to do something with the poor, right? Like, what are you going to do? You, you can't eat them or can you? God damn it. Hey, you got to okay. figure out something to do with them. <laughs> so this is all bad and this stuff keeps happening, but nothing's changing. No one, they're not changing any of the safety precautions at this facilities. And so all of this uh, meets ahead in uh, 19... 84 and so what happens is there's this tank and it's uh known as tank e610 and so this is like a this giant metal container that contains a shit ton of this gas they have lots of these tanks on the facility and their, their whole job is holding this gas until they can sell it and for whatever reason the pesticide market was dropping so they had a lot more gas in these containers and they were still producing at the same rates even though they had no one to sell it to and more than they should have in and, fact uh, yeah. the ucc safety regulations specified that uh any of these tanks that were holding uh liquid mic which yep. uh i think we might have missed is uh methyl isocyanate uh should not be filled more than 50 percent but in this particular instance uh, a couple of these tanks that were left in disarray after the market fell uh, were filled uh, up to more than that that safety regulation. Yeah. Allowed. So just get, give an idea of what what fifty percent is. So these these containers could hold sixty tons of liquid MIC, which is just a shit ton. And what that would convert to in gas is just insane. The amount of like gas that would create. Yes. And so so effectively, they're only supposed to hold thirty tons. Uh, but a container E six ten in particular was holding forty two tons. So more than the allotted amount that it was supposed to actually be holding. And for whatever reason, there was this issue where they couldn't release any of the liquid out of it. There was either the pipe was gummed up or there was some issue that they could not get the the gas out of it. I think this, this issue uh, be began in October uh, 1984. Yeah. Okay. So they realize, and they know this. So they know this. In October 1984, they realize this is an issue. Well, so when the major catastrophe happened was in December 1984. So this is uh, two months, two months after they realized there was an issue with this tank, uh, 6E10. And so there's just like a bunch of like little things that happen up until the point that I wrote down that that it were just like what the fuck moments for me that I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, so let's see here. So what happened is they they had uh, systems that would tell you the pressure of these tanks, right? Mm -hmm. And so they realized that the pressure had increased by 10 psi's on this uh, 610e tank, and two different senior refinery employees saw that this was increasing at an alarming rate. And you know what they did, Tim? What did they do? They assumed it was an instrument an instrumentation malfunction. Like so yeah. basically just imagine like there's this little dial that's like it's just going bing, ding, 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 just like going like yeah. crazy. Like, huh, that's not supposed to happen. It's fine. I'm, sh I'm sure the dial's broken. It couldn't yeah. possibly be that this tank, right? Okay, so that happens. And that's it's like ridiculous. a what the fuck moment for me, right? So in, in this case, they should be like hitting the red button and be like, er, 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 we need to fix this. And they're like, eh, fuck it. And so what happens is they yeah, come back and they look at it 45 minutes later. And so it's increased to like 30 PSI. 
So it's even more. And then at that point, they start scratching their chins. They're like, hmm, maybe this is an issue. But first, let's have our tea break. So at 12.45 a.m., instead of still not doing anything, they decide they're going to go and have a tea break and talk about what they might do if this is still an issue when they get back from the tea break. And I know I'm yelling right now, but this drives me insane. Like, okay. How do you think that went? Like, how do you think they talked about it? If you're having a fucking tea break about something that's about as catastrophic to happen that is happened, I'm assuming you're not very fucking concerned. Like, no one, there's no such thing as a stressed out tea break, right? You're just sitting, you know, you're stirring it, you're like, your little sugar cubes, like, so, uh, I think we should, um, you know, like, that's how I imagine it. Yeah, they, they're, they're all sitting around a table together, uh, and they, they got their little, little sugar and they're kind of piloting in, uh, but you gotta make small talk while you're doing this. You can't necessarily be like, uh, so, uh, I, and I, I don't know any any of these people's names. So I'm just going to assume that it's John. Uh, so, uh, yeah. so John, uh, I, I noticed that, the uh, tank, uh, yeah, E, E610. Uh, yeah, E610, uh, I heard a little bit of a leak as I was walking past it. Uh, and then I started, uh, vomiting profusely. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. Anybody else vomit profusely as they, uh, were breathing in the gas coming yeah. out of E610? Uh, I, I, and they're all like drinking their tea, like, oh yeah, yeah, I was, I was throwing up a little bit too, you know, it was a little bit off. My eyes are real itchy, you know. He's like, one of them's got maybe like an eye hanging out of his head, you know. Something yeah. And they're all just like sitting there, like just chugging on their tea. Yeah. And it's like really late at night. Uh, and they just, yeah, it's, a, it's, it has to be a casual conversation, right? If it you, has to be because hey, I forgot to mention this. You're right. The, Cause there was, uh, people were starting to feel the effects of a minor leak at this point before the tea break, before yeah. the tea break, people were already experiencing the effects of a minor leak. And since this place has had so many fucking leaks before they knew what a minor leak felt like. And they decide that, you know what? Fuck the leak. Let's go out, get our tea break. Yep. Because tea's important, you know? I, I, I love my tea break. Like, I'm more of a coffee guy myself. Uh, but I suppose if, you know, something was really a problem, then we wouldn't even be able to have tea in the first place. Like, what if the tea was gone? What if it was contaminated? And then we wouldn't have tea. Okay. What so could be the, worse? So they had a tea break at 1240, right? Yeah. So at 1250, alarms start going off. Not only in the facility, but outside the facility. Yeah. These alarms are a safety procedure to let people know that there is a leak. Yep. But do you want to know what they fucking did, Tim? I, I guess that it was the middle of the night, so they didn't do shit. <laughs> they turned off the public alarms. Yeah. Because the it, alarms uh, that yeah. went off that were telling the people there's going to be this horrible catastrophe, they turned them off. Yeah. They have this safety procedure, and they just turned them off. So no one knew. So no, no one could be aware. So the, I guess the inside alarms were still going, but only people inside the facility knew this was going to be an issue. And so... As per company procedure meant to avoid alarming the public around the factory over tiny leaks. This is not a tiny leak. That's what it says. Uh, yeah, that's what I do. It, yeah, they're like, oh, it'll be fine. We can contain it. We don't want to ruin our reputation. Let's just turn off the alarm that could warn the surrounding area about this awful thing that's about to happen. Yeah. <sighs> so, uh, skipping forward just a little bit, uh, the initial effects of exposure to this gas. 
And also, oh, sorry. Uh, coughing, uh, severe eye irritation, the feeling of suffocation, burning in the respiratory tract, uh, blepharospasm? Mm-hmm. What is blepharospasm? Breathlessness, stomach pains, vomiting. Oh, that's an abnormal contraction or twitch of the eyelid. So you got some twitchy, twitchy people going on. Yeah. Uh, stomach pains and vomiting. Uh, uh, a lot of the people who were in the direct vicinity uh, of this plant mm-hmm. were awakened by these symptoms and tried to flee. Uh, yeah. Of course, those that didn't have a vehicle inhaled much more than those who did not. Yep. Uh, and of course, because this is a this is not oxygen we're talking about. This is going to have a, a, a different density. Uh, so this actually this this particular MIC likes to settle. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit heavier. So those who are of shorter stature, uh, like children, for example, yeah. <laughs> are going to inhale higher concentrations. It's like mustard gas. You know, it just was like floating around like the the lower you know floor and ground and everything like that. Yep. Going everywhere. It's like a death cloud. And the amount that escaped from the facility was 30 metric tons. So that's a lot of fucking gas. Yeah. That is a shit ton of gas. And, and also to add, this is a densely populated area. This isn't, you know, the oil rig out in the ocean or a Fukushima plant on its little island. This is, it's surrounded by a densely populated area. And to make matters even worse, the the hospital doesn't know what MIC is. Yes. They have no idea how to treat this. Yep. They have they have no antidote, even though this facility has had all these leaks and issues in the past. Uh, they never informed the hospital, like, hey, by the way, this is what we're making. Uh, you might want to consider having something on standby. Yeah, and they'd been using that since 1969. Yeah. Uh, which – so that, that gave them plenty of time. Uh, to be able to inform the facilities just in case something just like case. this were to occur, that MIC would be the thing that they need to treat for. But the majority of people that they received, they thought they were treating for exposure to phosgene gas. Mm-hmm. So that that was that was certainly a, 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 a ball dropping moment. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, so thousands of people had died by the following morning. Happened Eight thousand. Yeah, eight eight thousand had died by the following morning. You got a number? Yeah, yeah. Uh, primary causes of death were choking, uh, reflexogenic circulatory collapse, and pulmonary uh, edema. And and yeah, and and so and this gas spread. And so while eight thousand were directly affected, the following day. This this gas was inhaled by over 700,000 people, and there are still people today that are suffering from the effects of inhaling it in 1984. That's right. Um, let's see. The stillbirth rate increased up to 300%. Neonatal mortality up about 200%. Um, oh, geez. Some of the photos of this one in, in particular are pretty rough. Uh, I would encourage all of you to go out and look this up to uh, avoid uh, uh, causing Jimmy and I to just give up on life. Yeah, 
research on a little bit more. Yeah, this one's absolutely awful, which, I mean, makes sense considering it's considered the world's worst industrial disaster to ever happen for many, many reasons. Uh, you know, you have the improper uh, containment of this uh, very deadly pesticide and, you know, having a facility being fully aware that it that it, it's trapped inside this container and they can't move it because they have corroding uh, pipes because they refuse to upgrade their pipes to stainless steel and they're still using iron pipes, which were rusty and getting clogged and had lots of issues. And even though they had tons of leaks in the past, they didn't, you know, update any of the procedures to prevent this kind of thing from happening. That the added effect of not indicating, you know, telling the hospital... Uh, so they could have the proper things. Turning off the alarm, warning the people before the leak became deadly. Like it's just so. It's just a clusterfuck of things yeah. that went wrong with this uh, thing. You know, on an individual level of having procedures like turning off the alarm, and also, uh, you know, a, a, a major uh, errors of you know not make making sure the facility had the proper safety procedures in place which could have prevented this. Right. Uh, it's just, it, it's an ongoing issue. Uh, do, do we know who was ultimately held responsible and how they were held responsible? <laughs> so there, there was some uh, compensation, uh, I think, given um, by the, the facility. I think uh, the Indian government held the UCIL culpable um but they uh the major culprit they wanted to indict the ceo of uh ucc uh warren what's his name anderson anderson warren anderson yeah so the in 2006 uh indian people were still trying to uh extradite uh warren anderson so he could pay for his crimes of you know making huge amounts of money on on really cheap labor in India with a really crummy facility uh, without having proper safety procedures in place. And unfortunately for the sufferers, uh, Warren Anderson died in uh, 2014. And the U.S. government many times den denied uh, uh, indicting him so or extraditing him so they couldn't they couldn't uh, have the true justice, which is very sad. So, and also, uh, conveniently, Warren Anderson stopped being the CEO for uh, UCC two years after the disaster, and uh, you know, got to got to live his uh, rich ex CEO life the rest of his life. So, good on him. Good for him. Uh, and I think that was in large part because of some independent campaigns that uh, Union Carbide. Uh, hired a couple of private investigators uh, mm -hmm. to try to prove the disaster was caused by sabotage within their company by individual actors. Oh yeah, they try to blame the uh, yeah the Indian employees for yeah. it. They did, uh, and oh man, uh, because I, you know them them Indian employees, yeah. they just really really like an unsafe working environment, so they intentionally cause a disaster to, you know, not only destroy their lives, but all their friends and family in the surrounding area. That's <laughs> well, there's a lot at stake. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah. Nobody wants to be responsible for that. Everybody's trying to distance themselves. Uh, in fact, I, although it's, it's somewhat comical, the, uh, one of the 
one of the key points of evidence in favor of the sabotage point of view uh, is a key witness being a.k.a. the T-boy, which testified that when he entered the control room at 12.15 a.m. prior to the disaster, the mm-hmm. atmosphere was tense and quiet. So I guess you're totally right about that. They weren't freaking out, but they were all sitting around staring at each other thinking, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Right, while drinking their tea. Yeah, and the tea boy is like, well, it seems kind of serious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I think the only thing I will blame the I I mean I guess you can blame the the two people that are like uh eh, it's probably just a malfunction in the equipment I'm sure we're fine let's go have our tea I get I mean you could theoretically blame them for that but even still I'm not sure what what safety procedure backups they had available to them in order to prevent this from happening since the the pressure was increasing so quickly inside it and since it was clogged up since. Uh, October and we're now in December. Like I'm not sure at this point what they could have done. Like they should have fixed whatever the issue was back in October when they realized that it was the the liquid MIC was stuck in there. But whatever. I don't know. Whatever. I have no idea. Mm. Yeah. But yep. Super super awful. Um. All right, Tim. So uh, what's the silver lining here? Oh, I knew it was coming. Hey, uh, <laughs> gotcha. Right. So silver lining, industrial disasters. Uh, I think that situations like this uh, in, in which we see just how effective we as human beings can come together to create these awesome, huge, technologically advanced uh, uh, pillars that prop up our modern society uh, – we can we can still recognize that there is a sense of uh, fallibility amongst them, and that because we have that proof as witnessed through industrial disaster, uh, we can always uh, ensure that we are including the proper fail safes, that we are aware of potential hazards, and that we try to mitigate them at any turn lest we be like one of the casualties in the story, whether it be uh, someone who is an administrator that's recognizing that they're making choices based on profit margins rather than, uh, you know, human, uh, human resources, uh, or whether you're an individual person who uh, is ignoring some type of safety regulation because you believe it's just not important. Uh, it's, you know, that's, this is what could happen. This is it. So you, you, you learn from the mistakes, right? Yeah, I guess with so many of the topics that we discussed, the only positive is the hope that we'll learn from the negative aspects of it. Because, I mean, there really isn't – there's no, there's no uh, positive output from, like, a, a, an industrial disaster, whether it be the negative environmental ramifications or loss of life. Like, there's not – any direct good output uh, from it. So I guess, you know, the best we can do is learn from our mistakes so that to make sure that it never happens again. Although it would be pretty fantastic if like through one of these catastrophic gas leaks, uh, there was like uh, some kind of weird chemical reaction with a certain animal and it became the schmoo. You, know, well, you ever heard of the schmoo? 
Uh, I've heard of the Shmi, but... The Shmi. Uh, the shmi. Uh, it's, it's a little creature that will uh, provide for a surrounding community in this most selfless sense. Like, you can use its whiskers for toothpicks, and it regrows limbs after you cut them off and harvest them. It's great. It's a fantastical so, being. Don't listen to him. Yeah, it's lovely. Everybody wants one, and they infinitely reproduce, and it solves all the world's hunger crisis. By accident, of course, but it'd still be pretty great. Well, it's if we're going to talk, talk about interesting creatures from industrial disasters, there's some like Chernobyl wolves from the Chernobyl disaster that have some weird adaptations. Like uh, good adaptations? Uh, they've adapted to live in their radiation-dense environment. I think there's also some weird fungi that only exist in the ra- radius around the Chernobyl site. Some other weird animal life. Look it up. Yeah. Look, look it up sometime. There's some weird biological things happening around the Chernobyl site. Two-headed wolves. <laughs> sort of thing. Nothing that cool. Darn it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, what do you think, Jimmy? Uh, you think there's any other silver linings? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, well, what are you sad about then? Surely, uh, surely not industrial disaster. Uh, well, after reading about it, I'm a little bit sad about that. I'm not going to not gonna lie to you. Um... <laughs> It'll get, to, it'll get to you. Um, comparing my my skill level of painting little Hot Wheel cars to other people, it's a very it's a very low <laughs> low level sadness. But it's like what I'm doing is the equivalency of like someone uh, taking like a year of art class in high school and then walking around like a museum and like comparing themselves to like these great artists. Be like, I'll never be that good. I suck. That's me right now. That's okay. Like it's like a sense of inadequacy. Like what? Oh what yeah. Kind of measuring. What kind of bar are you trying to reach? I don't understand. Well, you, you, so there's these, uh, you know, people uh, that have been playing Warhammer 40k since they were small children. Have been painting sure. models for that entire time. So they just have uh, a lot more uh, skill and depth in what they can do with acrylic paints, as opposed to what I can do. And yeah. so I'll, I'll just see their their works of little miniature art, and I'll I'll shed a single tear and be like, I'll never be like that. <laughs> but it's okay. Oh, but you will be one day. It just takes time. Yeah, ex- exactly. I just got to remind myself of that and not stop creating just because I feel inadequate. So that's I mean, yeah, it's it's very it's just very low scale sadness. Well, I mean, nonetheless, it should still be. Should still be mentioned. So thanks for sharing, yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, of course. How about you, Tim? What do you got? Uh, I am caught uh, between the antithesis of uh, working out too frequently, okay. uh, and I'm not. I'm not bragging when I say that. I'm. I'm just. I'm interjecting myself into all of these fitness communities. Uh, like I have several different workout partners throughout the course of the week, and I try to make all of it happen wherever I can, mm-hmm. uh, which is showing me that. Even in my young body, I still have like, limitations. I can, yeah, I can. I've experienced uh, like these pains of of overuse. Like my mm. knees are starting to hurt now. I mean, it's never something that, that did before. And on the other side of things, I, I really, really love donuts. And I talked about that. <gasps> did you get donuts again? I got donuts again. Oh my god, Tim! I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> I know. I'm, well, I feel like I like I'm kind of balancing it out. Like I did like a, a really hard leg day, 
not too long ago, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some donuts again. God, and these are fantastic. They were so good. <laughs> uh, you go to the Sugar Shack again? No, this time I went to uh, a place called oh, Duck Donuts. You're cheating on the Sugar Shack. Uh, gee, well, you know what? That's that's uh, that's commerce for you. It happens. Yeah. I have to diversify a little bit. I never had these, and one of my coworkers was like, "Oh, you got to try Duck Donuts. It's fantastic. They." They start out with a vanilla cake donut, and everything else is just like toppings on it. It's so nice. good. Cook them right there. Good. They were hot. They're hot donuts. That's 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 the key. Oh man, it's so delicious. Damn. Yeah. Oh, I might have to go and try some of those donuts whenever I see you the end of this month, which is crazy. Yeah, Jimmy's gonna come visit. Uh, yeah. gonna do the podcast here. Yeah, why not? We can do it next to each other. That way we can be silly and make funny noises. So Hell yeah, man. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Neat. Okay, uh, well, uh, thank you for uh, listening today, everybody. Uh, we would love to hear your feedback, what you think about this episode, uh, whatever uh, industrial disasters you think need to be mentioned, uh, or uh, comments on previous episodes. Uh, or just something that you'd, you'd like to say. You know, we, we always appreciate uh, criticism, but we certainly appreciate motiv- motivational uh, uh, compliments more so. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Got to Send us whatever you like. Uh, where can they find us, Jimmy? Where can they send us this stuff? You can find us at cynicempowerment at gmail.com, where we'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on Facebook at cynicempowerment where you can like and us, we will see our posts in the future, and you can also message us there. If you'd like to download any of our episodes, you can download our episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. Yes. It would be great, and we would love to hear from you. Absolutely. All right. Well, I guess that about wraps up this episode on industrial disasters. Everybody keep your head up, and we'll catch you next time. Hell yeah. Catch you next time, everybody. Woo! <laughs>